Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of Buckeye Dads Discuss. I'm Josh. And I'm Andy. And Andy, today we are going to fulfill our promise. Uh, we have been teasing that we are going to review Kirk Herbstreet's new book, Out of the Pocket, Football, Fatherhood, and College Game Day Saturdays. And this episode is now. Herbie Day is here. I was so excited when you threw this out. On the, I literally learned about this on the air in the episode that you mentioned that Herbie's book was coming out. So I was psyched that we were able to get a couple of copies, read through it, and then that this episode's uh, coming to pass. So let's get into it. I mean, really, Herbie is a patron saint, to say the least, of the show, I feel like. I mean, just reading out the title of this book, it's like, yep, we, uh, we, we like all of those things. I mean, that's pretty much what the show is, right? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Exactly. Uh, Herbie doesn't talk a whole lot about COVID or Game of Thrones in in his book, but uh, uh, yeah, I really feel like this uh, book touches on a lot of the themes of the show. Uh, obviously, we're super in the tank for Herbie, uh, you know, all three of us being Ohio State alums, uh, loving college football, uh, loving being dads. Um, so let's get right into it, Andy. Uh, hit us up with your overall impression. Uh, how long did it take you to get through this book and what were kind of your big takeaways? So right off the hop, I mean, I thought it was, I thought it was a great book, maybe a couple of criticisms of it, but overall I thought it was a really easy read. I thought it was a really interesting read. There was, I mean, you know, like you said, Herbie is somebody that I think we've been familiar with for a long time. So one of my fears going into it, I think was that there wasn't going to be a whole lot that I didn't know. And, and that didn't come out at all. I think there were a lot of really interesting things that, I didn't know that I learned from the book. Um, it was kind of what I expected, but in the best case scenario. So, you know, it, it was a bit of a memoir. And then Herbie touched on fatherhood and, and that, you know, that is what I expected from the book, but it, it definitely delivered. So I, I thought it was great. He said, I, I, I laughed, brought me to tears a couple of times. And I mean, I tore through it in two nights. Great, great. Yeah. So I can't say that I got through it as quickly as you mostly just because my smartphone has broken my brain and uh i used to just be able to like boom one night four five six hundred pages and this book is not that long this book is uh you know 350 or so mm -hmm. uh, uh but i i took my time a little bit I, I broke it up over several sessions uh over a long period of time but uh probably just three or four sessions to finish this book and I had a lot of the same thoughts that you did. Uh, I was worried that this was just going to be a, a somewhat superficial, like here's all the things that happened to this person who's been in the public eye for a really long time at this point. And to the point where he's been in the public eye so long that I kind of forgot some of the early things in particular. I was like, oh yeah, that was a thing. Uh, one of the things I want to touch on a little bit later, I completely forgot that he did games with Brent Musburger. And until I, there was a specific story about his time with Brent that I was like, oh, yeah, now I remember this. Uh, but Herbie's been, you know, if you love college football, he's been, you know, on your TV screen for a really long time at this point. If you're talking about people you associate with with college football, I mean, Herbie's Mount Rushmore, like top four, I would say. He is he is one of a very few people that you could say is the voice of college football and people wouldn't argue yeah, I, I think that's 100% right. And and I think at, at least one other person you have to put on your Mount Rushmore is at least one other person on college game day, right? Like, you know, you could pick you could pick Fowler, you could pick Corso. I mean, I feel like either of them uh, go right up there with Herbie, so. 
Yeah, I mean, I, I think I'm not sure college football would be quite as interesting as it is without game day. And, and I mean, these guys have been driving the bus for 20 years now. Yeah, I mean, I, I feel like you can't separate the sport in this show. Um, you know, my level of engagement with it has, you know, gone up and down over the years, just depending on where I'm at in my life. But I mean, at the very least, it's always just been, you know, I know that you you've developed a, a love affair with uh, European soccer and maybe there's some competition there. But in our house, college football Saturdays, nine to noon, yeah, as soon as we are aware enough to turn the TV on, it goes on game day and it stays on there until the first college game happens. And that will happen for the foreseeable future. I'll tell you what, though, man. I'm old school. I forget that it comes on at nine these days. To me, it's it's a 10 to noon. So yep. I'll often sit down to try and watch it. I'll be like, what the hell? They're halfway through the show <laughs> because I forget that they tacked on that other hour. So I, I go back to the old school days. Yeah. So just my overall impressions to continue on a little bit. I was really surprised at how, what's the word I want to go with here? I think vulnerable is the word that I want to use. Uh, I really feel like you get to peer in the Herbie's soul quite a bit in this book, especially around the relationship with his own dad and then with his sons. Uh, and that's something that we'll discuss quite a bit. Uh, but it, that alone, I think, takes, you know, you already know quite a bit about this guy um, just from seeing him on TV. But then you really get to know, you know, more deeply what motivates him, uh, what he's passionate about and what drives him to be the person that he is yeah absolutely i i think vulnerable is the good word a fair word that that from reading the book i don't see that herbie would have any sort of an issue with at all no he he definitely put it out there and i think it made it a much better book for the fact that he was willing to go deep and kind of let you see behind the curtain a little bit yeah so okay so you and i have never done a book review before uh and so the structure of this might be a little bit interesting, but I just kind of flagged some uh, some pages throughout uh, the book that I just kind of want to go over a little bit. Um, I'm not really, I, I this is not going to be story time and I won't be reading the book to you, but there are a couple things uh, that really jumped out at me. And before I do that, I just wanted uh, one quick shout out. Uh, this is obviously Kirk Herbstreet's story. Uh, this was written with Gene Wojciechowski, who uh, used to kind of show up on game days uh, he was co- is a college football writer for ESPN. I uh, used to read him quite a bit back in college. Uh, and I really feel like Gene does a good job capturing the voice of Herbie. I feel like there's lots of times when I was reading this book where I kind of read it in Herbie's voice. Uh, you know, and, Absolutely. Uh, and so I think he did a really good job with that. Um, I'm going to throw one, one positive to you, one shout out to you for pronouncing. I'm not even going to take a shot at it, but well done on the polish <laughs> yeah but it's only because i've heard it on tv before yep wojowski that's not even like Giannis's last name that one just that that one just flows off the tongue that's my polish roots coming out right there <laughs> it, it doesn't matter where it comes from for you to pronounce that correctly take you should get some credit for <laughs> so this book starts out like a lot of you know biographies and memoirs kind of do um you know it starts out with a little bit of backstory on Herbie's uh, parents and how they met um, and, you know, the huge influence right away that his dad is, his dad is, you know, super tied to Ohio state. He's a player. 
he coaches, he coaches college football. He loves college football. Uh, and that, you know, starts out like it's, it's very, in my opinion, cookie cutter right away um, with that description, but it really kind of morphs into this really like sorrowful relationship, really bittersweet relationship that he has with his father uh, who right away when Herbie's very young, kind of just, you know, hosts it and, and, and leaves the family and he's in and out of Herbie's life, you know, all through his life until his, uh, until he succumbs to Alzheimer's, which Herbie talks about much later in the book. Uh, but really like, you know, we associate him as a pretty boy and as somebody who has to now be insanely well off, you know, 1%, you know, all the privileges in the world, but it really did not start that way for him at all. No, I, I think there was a lot of surprising things there. Exactly. That he came from a really blue collar background. I, I didn't expect that. Exactly. I mean, even Herbie himself says that people call him the Ken Dow, and he is. I mean, uh, he's a beautiful right? man. <laughs> you, you see, you see the polished Herbie every day and, and you wouldn't necessarily think that he came from, you know, working class Dayton roots, but he did. Yeah. I, so I didn't know the backstory on his dad at all. I didn't know that his dad was so connected to Ohio State or that he was so connected, you know, since he was young. I, I assume maybe just being an Ohio guy he was. I didn't realize that he had, like, the specific connections to his dad. But, yeah, it kind of sets you up to to maybe think you're going to have that, like, oh, you know, his dad went there, and then he followed in his dad's footsteps, and what a great story. But that's that's not really the way it plays out. No, that's not how it plays out at all, right? Like, his parents, you know, split up. They officially get divorced he's got a bunch of different step parents that come into and out of his life doesn't really seem to develop any good relationships with him and then this you know his father leaving is that just classic like you know kirk becomes a people pleaser like he really wants his dad to be proud of him and pay attention and be in his life and that really just becomes you know a defining theme all the way through his college football career and his you know tv radio broadcast career and his family life and it's just really kind of painful that like somebody who the world would say is this super successful person still feels somewhat incomplete because of that you know loss of not having his dad in his life yeah absolutely it's it's almost there were times where it was kind of sad where it was not you know necessarily that he had that drive to be successful you know coming from that internal like i want to reach these heights but it was that like I want the people around me to be proud of me because I think that hole that his dad leaving left, that was tough. It, it, it started out, and like you said, a little bit cookie cutter in the first couple of chapters. And I was like, oh, okay, fun story. And, but I mean, it, it got a little bit heavier pretty early in the book. But it, I mean, I don't know if heavy is the right word, but you know, it, it kind of took, took, took a little bit of a turn that you didn't necessarily expect. And, and you realized it wasn't going to quite be the fairy tale you thought it was going to be. I yeah. thought it was really well written, though. Yes, for sure. I would, you know, I would say that his story, you know, in his, you know, from high school, you know, from birth to high school and whatnot, it is an extremely like his story is anything special, right? His story happens to millions and millions of kids, you know, as they grew up in their lifetime. It's not like he had some unique, rare childhood cancer that one in a million kids gets or you know, his, you know, meteor came and, and, and hit his dad and, and took his dad for, you know, some weird thing or whatever. Like, this is a very common story that, 
you know, maybe just surprises you a little bit that it happened to him. Uh, but just the way it's so personal, you know, the way that he bonds with his sister uh, and, you know, tries to like, you know, show everybody that he can do it and, you know, that be the man of the house and whatnot uh, and support his mother and still try to have a good relationship with his dad. It's a very common story, uh, but it was very heartfelt and personally told in this book. So Herbie goes, you know, to high school and he's running that, you know, that, that RPO, the option offense. And it's all just kind of like, you know, it's going along, it's going along, it's going along. Uh, and then they get to the part where uh, ch- the first sentence of chapter five, first two, uh, first sentence just really like is ro- where this book turned to me and it got super interesting. Uh, the chapter is called Nobody's All-American. And the first sentence is, only a few days into my Ohio State football career, I knew I had a major problem. Uh, and then Herbie goes on to detail that John Cooper took over uh, as the Ohio State head football coach uh, when he started there. And basically that Cooper didn't watch him play, wasn't planning on using the offense that Kirk had run, uh, and that there was this huge mismatch of strategy and of coach and quarterback. And, uh, you know, I was like, okay, like he had a rough life, but certainly Ohio State has to be this like four-year amazing period for him, right? That like it was for, you know, I, I won't speak for you, but I'll certainly say for me. And, and even really, like, he's kind of robbed of that a little bit, at least in his first three, three and a half years or so. Yeah. I mean, with the connection that, you know, present day Herbie has with Ohio State, I had no idea his time there was so tumultuous. Yeah. And I would I say. I also that- didn't know that he was like a one year starter. I, I think I just assumed that he found a lot more success there than he did. So, I mean, he's before our time, I guess. Right. Because I would, you know, you and I are not like diehard lifetime like chronicle the history of Ohio State football um I mean my first real memory significant memory of Ohio State football is when they beat Miami in the national championship and I was rooting for Miami in that game like I started as a Michigan fan and not until I went to Ohio State and made my decision to go there was I really a Buckeye fan so you know, I don't, those are lost years. I knew that Eddie George was right around there. They hadn't won a national title in forever since Ohio State had, you know, beat Miami. Uh, but yeah, I didn't really know. And I was very surprised at all the ins and outs of all the different coaches and offensive coordinators that came through, how he really didn't mesh with them, how he didn't really seem to have a good attitude about it until he really kind of matured and got closer to the end of his tenure there. Definitely a lot of interesting stories. Yeah, I, I thought Herbie's, like I said, there, there was a lot about his career that I had no idea. And, I mean, even in the end, his Ohio State career really wasn't a happy story. Like, he ended up having a halfway decent season. So, that, that, was, that, was, that was maybe one of the saddest parts of the book was like, oh, like, Herbie's an Ohio State guy. And, I mean, obviously he loves Ohio State, but, like, he was not a hero. Yeah. <laughs> so- the time there. Some of my favorite little, like, really short anecdotes from this are, like, Herbie being a badass. So, the couple that I have flagged here is the year that they went to play Air Force in a bowl game. And Herbie was so excited about it because he was like, oh, this is the offense I ran in high school. I don't need the coaches to tell me what to do. I still know this, like, the back of my hand. And he volunteered to run the scout team offense. 
and they just shredded the first team Ohio State defense to the point where he like picked a fight with Bo Pelini, who like Bo Pelini is a person I wouldn't want to pick a fight with. Like his blood pressure has to be like in the two hundreds. He just looks like he's a crazy person. Oh yeah, uh, resting it's in the two hundreds. When he starts coaching, it's <laughs> four fifty. It's literally like I don't know how he doesn't like have a stroke every single time he's on. You know, he's on the football field or whatever. Uh, Kirk had a story from the, the Brian high- Kelly of Nebraska. Yes, yes. Kirk had a story from high school where uh, some defensive end was talking shit about him, and Kirk describes him as uh, kind of soft, a fake tough guy. And it's just, it just really cracked me up because you never see that side of him on TV. You know, he is Mr. Congenial, like it, to the point where, like, it's almost like confounding. Like I we will talk about this a little bit later when we dive into game day a little bit more, but like game day is the one show that I feel like works with like z- z- almost zero conflict on it. Yeah. And even the conflict feels fakeish. Like, yeah, uh, yep. yeah we, we, we kind of got to have a little controversy, but we know you guys love each other. Right. So uh, uh, an interesting character that came up during uh, his college years. And again, this goes back to the vulnerability we talk about. Uh, Kirk talks about uh, it was very important to him uh, when Ohio State hired a psychologist for athletes, a Dr. Bud Ferrante. You know, basically Kirk just goes and he has somebody to talk to. He has somebody to talk through all of the tough things that he went through as a young man. Uh, you know, he, you know, at the end of his career, he reaches out and, and mentions him specifically by name as a, uh, an important person that was on his team, you know, at the end of his uh, career. And it, it's just really, you know, it's nice to see, you know, that we are, we're starting to turn the corner a bit. I feel like on, you know, that, oh, hey, if you need, if you need to talk to someone, if you need therapy, if you need to see a psychologist, like, good go do that like there's no shame in that like people have people have mental health needs and that's what those people exist for yeah i mean it's as the mental health guy you know i love that i I actually have that in the the outline a little bit later too i thought that was that that was the first note i wrote down was herbie's a big mental health guy um and i thought that was awesome how he connected and how and i mean even at the time he said that at the time that he was there that was still not really something that was normal or encouraged that was you know available but it wasn't something i I don't think it's anywhere near like it is now where it's encouraged but but yeah i mean it was something that was there but i I feel like it was not pushed the way herbie was saying so i thought that was really cool how he kind of took a little bit of that risk to to connect with the doctor and then he's i think he said it turned out to be like the best decision he ever made right uh so his college years wind down he never beats michigan they tie at the at the end uh his senior year he never beats michigan and that is definitely something that seems like he carries around with him uh and you know he doesn't get drafted uh which doesn't seem like a surprise at all when you're reading about his college career and he does the thing that you know we know eventually what he becomes famous for right he goes on he has his own radio show eventually uh, he's doing Ohio State games, kind of sideline reporting and whatnot. And then, you know, it just is extremely fortuitous. It's one of those one in a million stories where eventually, you know, he gets called up to game day. 
Well, I think you missed the uh, the part of the book where he had a job offer where I think he was going to be making like $100,000 a year selling insurance. And he was yeah. like, nah, I'm going to take this 20K at the radio station. I never in a million years, I would have been like, where do I sign? I will, oh, I will yeah. do the most boring ass <laughs> job in the world. A hundred grand then too, right? Like, you know, that that is... Uh, it speaks to how much he, you know, he loves college football that at that point in his life, right? That's not now. That's way back when, when he was a nobody. Uh, and he said, no, I'm, <laughs> I'm going to do radio for like $12,000 a year uh, instead. It was just crazy. Oh, yeah. That, that was way before the ESPN days. That was, that was when he was still doing the local radio in Columbus. I mean... You know, you see it a little bit later in the book, though, when Herbie and uh, Churchill Downs, Herbie the Gambler. I mean, yeah, that, that was maybe the first appearance of Herbie the Gambler saying, oh, I'm going to bet on myself here. Have you ever been to the like to the ponies? Have you ever been to the horse racetrack before? Yeah, but never as an adult. Like I went with my grandma when I was a kid. Uh huh. So like I've never gone and actually bet on them myself. No. So I've been either once or twice. So like that's appear- surprising. Well, no, it is surprising because it was not like a purposeful thing, right? So we went to visit uh, my wife's grandparents in Tennessee, and apparently, like my wife's grandfather was like super, like he like was a jockey or whatever, and like would race him and was around it all or whatever, and and loves to go to the racetrack on the weekends and bet on it. And, and so I, you know, I spent like ten or fifteen dollars or whatever but it's it is a really fun way to go and spend and spend a weekend and just like be like oh hey it's you know you get those brief moments of excitement as the horses are coming on the track or whatever you know i never wager you know anything significant uh because it's it's just perfectly random for somebody like me and really for most people but yeah it was a, a randomly fun way to uh to spend a weekend so nice I, I got a real huge kick about Herbie putting together his audition tape for game day because he, you know, he gets other people to be involved. And those two other people are Joey Galloway and Eddie George, two people who also ended up doing TV for college football. And, you know, Joey Galloway still rocking it like uh, super cool uh, that his teammates chipped in for that. And uh, they all kind of, you know, hit it big in their own way. Uh you know, Eddie George in particular with actually playing in the NFL. Yeah, those are two decent guys to have on your uh, help me out tape. <laughs> right, exactly, right? Uh, how'd, you, how'd you like the story of Eddie George just coming when they, he's throwing the ball around asking if he can uh, hang out with them, like yeah. freshman Eddie George? Yeah, <laughs> Herbie's reaction was like, I don't know any guys from the NFL just because of like how chiseled Eddie George was. It was like, no, this, right. guy's, a, this guy's a true freshman. <laughs> Uh, it was shocking how how about desmond howard almost ending up at ohio state yes so desmond howard is just like he is he is he dorian gray like does he age like again kirk you're 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 a very handsome man but when you sit the two of them next to each other on the game day stage it's a, i would have said does is like a decade younger than him nope <laughs> nope not nope uh, apparently they're right around the same age so uh yeah hey, that, how off how awful would game day have been if they'd have both went to ohio state though there'd have been no conflict 
<laughs> yeah, I know, right? Like, we, oh my gosh, when we went when we went to game day, we won't re, we won't rehash that story again. We've told it at least like twice on the show, but yeah. when we went to game day and just the crowd just loving all the Ohio State fans loving the kill of Dez anytime he talked, so great. Again, this is why the rivalry is just hundred percent, just the best. Yeah, would have, like you said, uh, there, there's very little conflict on game day already. But you you take Desmond Howard <laughs> going to Michigan out of I mean, it's nothing. Nobody's fighting about anything. Yeah, that's true for sure. <laughs> Another little sentence I wanted to read. I love this 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 part of the book. So eventually, we get to Herbie auditioning for game day. He gets a call from a TV executive, and this is what the executive says: "Hey, I wanted to let you know that Craig James left us for CBS." You're too young and you're not going to get the job, but we want you to come in and audition for the opening. We're going to fly Corso and Fowler in for the audition. <laughs> and it's just great to be like, we want you to come in. You're not getting this job. Don't get any ideas. And then lo and behold, he, after sweating furiously, just some wonderful imagery about uh, Herbie sweating. You know, Herbie's just like, he thinks he blew the, blew the audition he doesn't remember what he said he was so nervous uh coach corso would later tell an interviewer on his audition holy mackerel he was so nervous sweating like a son of a gun but i liked him i wanted him to get the job and and boom we're off yeah what what a story there (laughs) and i love that part of the reason why he wanted to go was just to meet the guys that he was like "Eh, yeah you're right i probably won't get the job but man i get to go meet Corso and Fowler. Hey, that's pretty cool. I'll go to it just to meet those guys. And then and that's the thing too, right? Is like I would say over the last five years or so, in particular, like Corso's really started to show his age, and like you really think of him as a a super elderly, almost frail kind of guy. Uh, but like early on, like when we were in college, like I would not have thought it would have been like a Herbie looking up the Corso, like Corso had been in the public eye that much or whatever. But yeah, man, the the age difference is actually really significant between them, and uh, and man, it's just so funny to to read about Herbie just being like, oh yeah, I just wanted to meet these guys. All right, what the the people that he's on Mount Rushmore now with that, that he became a legend with before he became a part of that were just you know, oh these guys are awesome, and I'm just nobody. Yeah, and that's really something that that Herbie talks about in this book, right? Like, right, like he talks, especially in his early years, that he really just wanted to be deferential to Corso, uh, you know, to to know his stuff and offer good insights. But he was never going to go at Corso. He was not going to do what Craig James did uh, before he left and and have that be a point of conflict on the show. And it's just so interesting to me again, going back to that point that like Herbie and Corso sit next to each other. And that's the primetime argument, you know, spot for people to be like, no, you're wrong. No, you're wrong. You know, going at each other and making jabs at each other or whatever. And, and Herbie's just not like that. And it just like Herbie says uh, in this book that he wants the people to think about him in the way Dick Vitale, people think about Dick Vitale in college basketball. And initially, like, I was like, I don't really think that analogy makes any sense at all because I just associate them at so opposite ends of the poles. And, and Herbie touches on this, right? Like Vital is all about the, 
the the phrase and the and the and, you know the vitalisms and diaper dandies and all that and just everything's big and over the top or whatever and the herbie thing to me is just more like herbie's just like you know that comfortable blanket you throw on on a you know on a brisk fall morning it's just like yep i'm gonna sit and watch game day i'm gonna feel good this is comfort food uh and i'm just gonna hang out with people who seem to like each other and know what they're talking about it's gonna be a good time yeah herbie's the mashed potatoes the perfect there you go that's no you took what i said in two minutes and said it in five words and you you nail it you got it (laughs) yeah i was surprised that he was afraid to argue with corso though i just I, i mean for no other reason than Corso seems to enjoy that a little bit. Like, I don't think Corso wants to be put up. I, I've never got the impression that like he wants to be put on this untouchable pedestal. Like he's not afraid to to get into it and, and scrap back and forth with somebody. So I was a little bit surprised that young Herbie was afraid to argue with him because I would have thought Corso would have appreciated and enjoyed that. Yeah, I think it's completely just uh it's a hundred percent that's just a Herbie thing, right? Like yeah. I just think that it's just not within his nature uh to do that. And I, I think it would seem fake I, if he like always, you know, you know, he'll he'll have the like, you know, the slide jokes or whatever. or He'll do the arm pat and be like, oh, you know, I think you're completely wrong or whatever, but never in like a, a disrespectful kind of prodding way. No. Uh, and, and so I think it's just it's a really good dynamic. I, I, of course, love the story about, you know, the headgear for the first time. And, and how he how he got the Brutus head, uh, how Corso got the Brutus head and putting it on, uh, and how yeah. how many times he got told no before he was able to pull <laughs> it off. <laughs> yep. Uh, and again, really, just like you know, Herbie having the connection, and Corso finally pulling it off. Uh, and then again, like that's it's one of those things, right? Like if you're in the last half an hour of game day, you're gonna leave it on because you want to see who Corso pulls the headgear out for, right? Like 100%. Oh, yeah. There's times where I have watched nothing else. I turn on 11.53 to make sure I don't miss that. Like, sometimes that's all I'm going to catch. Right. That's the moment. That's there for. Right. So you get a lot of, uh, you know, just Herbie making his way through game day, getting more secure in his position. You know, he ends up marrying his girlfriend, and they and they have some kids. Um from uh and i'm sure we'll get into the whole fatherhood thing here a little bit more again i love all these stories about herbie kind of being a badass there's a story about uh he was on game day and somebody uh hit him with a snowball and they yelled fuck you herb street (laughs) and herbie turned around and said fuck me fuck you fuck you and then he said (laughs) I said it slowly so they'd understand. And it just that just kills me every time to think of him actually doing that. Again, Kendall Hart Herbie, it's a little hard to picture him saying fuck you to somebody. I know, right? Oh, and it's almost like I really wish, like obviously he he could never say that on, on live TV or anything remotely close or whatever. But I would love to just get like an, an like an after hours be in a room with Herbie. There's no, there's no microphones. There's no cameras. There's no recorders. And just like have him drop some F-bombs. That would be amazing. Hey, I mean, Herbie may not be doing it on air, but we learned that coach has done it on air a couple of times. <laughs> yes. Oh my God. I love those stories. Those uh, were good ones. What did they call it? The card 99, I think. 
Yeah. Um, where it's the it's essentially the the Corso apology card, whatever he swears or says something that in a, a game day. Oh yeah, that's great. Oh, that's so great. Yeah, I I I have this flag. <laughs> he said he said, "Oh fuck it," and he, he grabbed the cougar mascot head. Uh, and then Herbie said, "Did he just say that?" And uh, Lewis goes, glad there's a delay, but there wasn't a delay. It was live and he had to read the apology later. So, yeah, I, I love that you, you could really read the uh, super genuine tone in the apology, too. <laughs> you tell he was like, ah, fuck this. Because I have to. Right. And I then thought the Corso stories themselves were, I, I mean, I'd have bought the book. I'd have been happy if it was just the 30 pages of Corso stories. Yes, I uh, I did not really flag a whole lot more of those. I just want people uh, to go read them and experience them for themselves. It just sounds like the Corso that you see on TV is the Corso that exists in real life. So, Oh, yeah, tw- 24-7, he is the Sunshine Scooter. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> um, Weed hot. And the only other things I really want to call out, again, this 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 talks about, this goes through, through Herbie's career. Um, and then, you know, as he raises his kids, uh, we'll talk about the specifics of fatherhood, I think, a little bit later. But the last uh, little the thing that he says in particular about sports, you might have this later. Uh, yeah, he talks about moving away from Columbus. And I want to read this passage because I, I you and I have talked about this in a different way. And I think this is summed up really nicely. And I, I'm going to go out on a limb and say we 100 percent co-sign. Uh, page 287 of this book. Uh, I'm going to read these two paragraphs real quick. Ohio State has as passionate a fan base as there is in all the sports. Their teams are almost always good, and those fans are almost always opinionated. I would put their energy level up against any fan base in the country, against any in the world. 90% of them are wonderful people. They love their team, but they're also realistic. Their world doesn't end if the Buckeyes lose a game. Then there are the 10% who are an absolute embarrassment to the other 90%, to the genuine Ohio State fans who love their program through thick and thin. The 10% think the head coach should be fired, the quarterback should be replaced, the defensive coordinator should be demoted, the ref should be investigated for taking bribes. It's ridiculous. And he goes on to talk about how, you know, both Ohio State fans and just fans in general, there is that 10% that are grossly disappointing. And I could not agree with the sentiment in this book as much as I do with that right there. Yeah, I don't know if 90%. I mean, 90% might be a little high. But yeah, (laughs) absolutely. It was, I mean, yeah, I I did have this later. Um, We can talk about it now, though. That was that was sad to me, but not the least bit surprising that he would have to leave because people I mean, even like people in junior football, he was telling the other coaches were like or the parents were telling their kids to fuck up his kids because they were Herb Street. It's like, come on, dude, the kid's like eight years old. Get out of here. Maybe it's just because our experience has been mostly with Ohio State fans, but as good as a lot of them are, man, we have some shit fans in our fan base yes like and he is a hundred percent right and i love that he was not afraid to call it out and say some of your shitheads because he's right yeah and again i agree you're i think you're right that he's being generous saying it's only 10 percent of fans but yeah again there's just no like again there's a very real possibility this year that michigan could be ohio state 
and it's gonna absolutely ruin my Saturday and maybe my Sunday and definitely throughout the next week just as like I run into the Michigan fans who are going to be gleeful after we've beaten their asses for the last decade and I it's not going to be great but in the grand scheme of my life it doesn't give you know it doesn't fucking matter and it's not something that I'm going to let worsen the relationships in my life because the Ohio State football team lost to Michigan. Yeah, I mean, if if that's going to ruin your month, like, I mean, Herbie has some great thoughts on mental health in the book, and, <laughs> and that might be the way to go. Really? I mean, that, that, that's like a legitimate, like, it's a joke, but it's also not a joke. Like, if you are that wrapped up in the identity of a team that you don't play for, yeah, yeah, that's 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 a tough look. So I, I want to throw something out here, and this is a little bit of a hot take, and I think you'll agree with it, but I, I wonder how far you'll go in agreeing with this. When you see an awful take from an Ohio State fan, what percentage of the time do you think it's from an Ohio State fan <laughs> and not an Ohio State alum? I'm going to tread very carefully around this question. I thought because, maybe you would. I wanted, because, to see, I wanted to see if I could get you. Because... The probably the most passionate fans that that are in my orbit, you know, like, like you and I again, like I again, if if we lose to Michigan, it is going to ruin my weekend. But like, would I say that I am the most passionate Ohio State fan that exists? No, I I wouldn't even like try to make that argument. There was one Ohio, I think it was my junior year at Ohio State. There was one Ohio State Michigan game that I spent working in my research lab because we had an urgent deadline and I had to make a bunch of auger plates in order for the, the grad student to actually run the experiments. And I pretty much just like missed the whole game. Like I checked in the score online or whatever, but like, you know, first and the people in my life and most of them non alums, that, that, that wouldn't happen. Like, you know, they would have carved out whatever they needed to for the game. Uh, so I'm not going to, you know, I'm not going to, again, say that I am the most uh, passionate fan. And it's, you don't have to be, you know, we're not, it's not the secret card carrying society where you you have to be an alum and there's this, you know, caste system of of fandom where alums are in a higher tier than, than people who didn't go there. All of that being said, I love all of you very much. Yes, if I see some horrible take, especially online, I'm like, yeah, that that's probably somebody who didn't actually go to Ohio State. I hope. Yep. <laughs> I think I, I think I couched that appropriately, right? Like, yeah, I, I think you I think you played it down the middle the way you were trying to play it down the middle. Again, like my wife's gonna listen to this and she's gonna be like, I'm a bigger Ohio State fan than you. Don't even try to pretend otherwise. And I I really probably she's right and i really probably can't really refute that yeah but that's not the argument and she's not the one not one of those people out there with god-awful takes either so she's not oh, who we're oh, talking about no no no, no. <laughs> she, she has some awful takes okay like master teague i was screaming from the very first game get henderson in there he's the fastest guy he's the one that looks most like zeke he's the one that's gonna take it home and look what happened they started playing them more and we've looked we're rounding in the shape. So, Master T, you can sit on the bench. She has plenty of bad takes. 
but but uh no in all seriousness yeah i mean what you see the again like the people who live and die like i i went there for four years i love ohio state every time i walk i go back to campus and i'm walking around downtown columbus it's just like this ridiculous rush of endorphins and just like you know i get i get the oxytocin going i get the dopamine going and i'm just like you know, this is wonderful. This is amazing. This is God's country. Uh, but no, there are there are alum who are, you know, there are some of the people that we went to school with that I follow on Twitter. And I'm like, is this really the take that you want to go with right here? Like, this is embarrassing. Uh, but there's plenty of those fans, those those fans, too. That's just like, look, we don't need to live and die with a team guy. Come on. You're OK. Yeah. And I think maybe I wasn't as clear as I should have been. I meant the like nasty takes. I you don't have a bad take on the team, whatever. It's I'm talking more like the Herbies, like investigate the refs, kill the coach. I mean, the people send like death threats to a quarterback because they throw a fucking interception. Like I'm talking about those brutal takes are very I think those are very, very rarely coming from I think I could be wrong. I think you might be pulling a Herbie here a little bit. Yes, I think if you had to like do percentage wise, yes, I think more of those people are not alums than alums, but I think there's some, you know, it was again too, like I'm trying to think of, uh, uh, of who it was or whatever, but there's been plenty of stories, especially over more distant history than recent history or whatever, where you get like, you know, especially African-American players who are getting letters from boosters from alum who are like, you don't deserve to be on the team. Like, so Lots of people can have horrible takes, but yes, I've I've gone extremely out of my way to qualify this, but I I agree with your overall thesis that those horrible, awful takes, for the most part, they're mostly coming from non-alums. But anybody can be a shithead, and the most important thing is don't be a shithead. Don't be a shithead. Get vaccinated. Anyways. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I, had, I had to sneak it in there. Oh, anyways. Um. So yeah, that was, you know, that was a real, you know, but it's the, the story that I remember. And again, this is probably just me projecting it on the Herbie, but we were there at game day, our freshman year. And it took like four or five commercial breaks for Herbie to turn to us and give us the OH or we would give, we gave Herbie the OH and he gave us the IO. And I was like, Herbie, why don't you love us? Like, come on now, give us the IO. And eventually he did. And we all cheered, but, uh, yeah, uh, the the shithead Ohio State fans who drove Herbie out of Columbus, you, you guys suck. You guys suck a big dick. Yeah, and I think it was interesting that – did you catch the – again, he's not sure he would have moved to Nashville. Yes. Like, he doesn't, he doesn't regret it, but he also thinks he probably wouldn't do it again. Yeah. I thought that was interesting because his reasons for leaving made so much sense. I mean, the guy – you know has ohio state flowing through his blood like you know and again like i've heard plenty of really awesome things about nashville uh but there's i've i've lived plenty of great things about columbus so yeah absolutely i mean the important thing is when herbie moved to nashville he did not become a predators fan (laughs) the nhl is on espn plus now the every single out of market game is on espn plus can we please get herbie doing some nhl coverage that would be <laughs> sick get herbie on like 
I don't know, I'll give them 10 minutes in the second period of a Blue Jackets game on ESPN. Come on, it's in the family now. Make it happen. He's a huge hockey guy. Yeah, I feel like that would be so easy to do, right? Like, oh, you got to be able to drag him in there for at least like a you know five-minute stretch or whatever. I, I, they had the first night that games were on TNT, they had uh, Wayne Gretzky shooting on Charles Barkley. They can pull off Herbie if they can do that. All right, so one more story I want to throw at you, and this is going to spring us into like a, a slightly mini list of the week. I didn't really prep you for this one. I want to get your, I want to get your off the top of your head takes. So okay. as I was reading through this again, Herbie talks about how he started doing actual, you know, covering games, doing color commentary. And I really did not remember him doing games with Brent Musburger. Just for whatever reason, I had just kind of blocked it out in my head that that was a thing. And then <laughs> Herbie goes into the story where I remember watching this game, watching this in real time, when they had Eminem, Brent Musburger, <laughs> and Kirk Herbstreet had Eminem in the booth. And I remember this, right? Like, and Herbie tells the story. This is 2013. Uh, they again, it's it's Brent and Herbie, and a, and I didn't know that there was a lot of underlying tension, and Brent didn't really like him, and they kind of just had to put on a show for the TV. But you know, Eminem has an album that comes out. There, he's talking before they go live on the air, and he's totally cool, he's totally normal. And then the TV cameras go on, and Eminem just looks like a zombie. He's just like staring off into the middle distance, um, and eventually he snaps out of it. But Eminem, at the very end of his visit, he named Pat Summerall, John Madden, Al Michaels, and Brett Musburger as his dream team of announcers, his Mount Rushmore, his list of the week, as it were. So I'm not, we're, we're not going to go and we're not going to give our top five announcers, but I kind of want to just go sport by sport real quick and just get your opinions on people who have jumped out at you. Um, and we'll just do the three that we're familiar with. You can tell me about hockey. I'll tell you about basketball. And then we'll touch on football, both pro and college uh, real quick. Okay. Um, okay. So I'm going to go first real quick for basketball to give you a little time to chew on this. And another thing that I want to consider to tell me as we're talking through this, for your, for the sport that we're talking about, who do you think is more important? The play-by-play guy? or the color guy, or do you think that the two are intrinsically tied together and you can't be separated? Uh, and then just tell me who jumps out at you. So I'm going to start. So NBA, NBA to me is a clear, the play-by-play play, play play guy is way more important than the color guy. Um, and just play-by-play play guys, and some of my, you know, uh, Mount Rushmore Hall of Fame uh, are, are those play-by-play play guys. So Marv Albert is just, you know, number one with a bullet, just wonderful voice. It's called some of the biggest moments in NBA history. He finally hung it up this year, uh, but he is succeeded by both Mike Breen and Kevin Harlan, who just do their play-by-play. It's just wonderful. You got the Mike Breen bang every time, you know, deep three goes in. For basketball, it's clear to me, play-by-play guy, uh, and there's a bunch of just phenomenal play-by-play commentators. Color-wise, there's not a whole lot of NBA color guys who I really like. This guy is really doing doing it for me broadcast-wise. Jeff Van Gundy is good. Uh, Huey Brown has got to be pushing 90 at this point if he isn't already. 
talking in the second person, but I like him as well. But basketball, it's the play-by-play. Uh, so what do you think for hockey? So this one's going to be tough for me. Hockey, I mean, I can, I can do hockey, but I don't know announcers. Like, I am – like, you could put – probably some legendary announcers on tv and i'm like so, so who's the who who so, does like uh stanley cup finals games okay uh, so where you were talking about your boy gamrick has been the voice of hockey for like 25 years and he just retired at the end of the last season yeah so i mean it, it would be doc as the i mean he's the play-by-play guy but i mean he, he clearly drives it. Like he's the captain of the ship too. Like uh-huh. he, you could tell he just ran the entire, like top to bottom NBA. Like he, he was the captain, the King and also the play-by-play guy. So he's the guy fire wagon change. He would just come up with all kinds of random shit that you'd never heard of. Nobody describes hockey as. <laughs> and so, I mean, yeah, I went, went to Bowling Green too. So local guy for us. Okay. So that was your thoughts on hockey. Let's get into the football. So I'm going to split this up, college and pro. College, who, who are the people that jump out at you? Uh, like I said, I'm brutal with names, but who are the dudes on CBS? The old dudes on CBS. Uh, well, so. Ver, is, Ver, is Vern still around? Is, I don't know. It's what, I, Vern Lundquist and the and other guy? Gary Danielson, I think, I think his yeah, name yeah. was or whatever. I um, like the CBS SEC guys because they've been around 10,000 years and they know everything that's going on. Vern sounds like he's gonna have a heart attack every like from the from the years I remember him, it just seemed like he was just like gonna like keel over at one point or I do like Vern quite a bit. I mean I mean you, let's let's just have the conversation. You want to talk about the Fox guy that I can't stand, so let's just do it. Okay, Gus Johnson and Joel Clatt. This is a 20 minute setup to talk about Gus Johnson. Okay, your Gus Johnson <laughs> hatred is deplorable. Gus I don't Johnson, hate him. I just don't think he's interesting. Gus Johnson can make the most vanilla, boring game exciting. The way he modulates his voice, the way he gets into it, the way he gets so excited. And then you have the yin to his yang. Uh, you have Joel Klatt just kind of calmly breaking it down, letting Gus have the spotlight. Uh, the fact that you hate that team so much, it really, it really hurts my soul. Well, first of all, I don't hate them by any stretch. No, you, I just, you hate I, them. You I just them. don't just get why minute. that dudes get. No, <laughs> I just don't think he's anything more. I don't know why the dude gets so excited over a two-yard run. It's like Jesus, dude. There's gonna be sixty-four more of those this game. Save a little bit. Like I don't know, maybe try a cup of coffee instead of a line of blow before the game. I don't know. <laughs> it's noon. He ran for two yards. Yeah, it was very nice. Yeah, it feels like it's you're. It feels like you're watching football with somebody for the very first time every time. Like. Have you never seen this before? Like, it's got, yeah, it was cool. He threw the ball six yards. That was neat. The other guy caught it. I get it. But like, again, like it is 1215 and we're watching number 24, Iowa play Indiana. Calm the fuck down. It's like, it's, it's, I, I feel like he's my spirit animal. Same way. Every time I'm watching ECHL hockey and like any time the puck remotely goes towards the net, I'm like, Oh, oh, there might be a goal. Like, no, no, it's that's nothing. That's not even close to anything. So, yeah, he wasn't even trying to score with that. (laughs) Gus, Gus, you're my boy. All right. That's all I got to say. Um, you know, there's nobody like I really like, like, you know, Fowler and and Herb Street, 
they're good. They're really good. I like it. It's comfort. It's mashed potatoes. Like yeah. you said, some days it's it's macaroni and cheese. It's all the same thing. Uh, you know, they're not driving me to. You know, it feels like it's a little bit of a bigger game when they call it, but they're not like making the broadcast or anything like that. Like, they're great. They're gonna do their jobs. They're gonna be good. Nobody that I really get super excited for. Um, and then NFL wise, um, Brett Musburger and Al Michaels, Al Michaels in particular, uh, just this great. I would say football has the it's the most even, I think, between the play by play guy and the color guy. I really think that when the two are really working together, uh, they both really matter. Um, and they're they're both important. Again, you get the extremely dry Pat Summerall, and then the the boom, tough acting snack and John Madden. Uh, you get a mix like that, and it's just wonderful. Uh, I think football has the most balance between the two. Well, I think it matters so much in football, too, just because there is so much dead time that you have to fill. Right, exactly. The pace of the game is so different compared to the other two sports. Yeah, if, if you have two people that aren't on the same page or that just don't have anything to say, I mean, and, you know, if you're talking about college football, the games last, what, six and a half hours these days? So, <laughs> you, I mean, oh, you're, you're strapped hate, in. You hate how long those games have gone. Every time I, we talk about college football, you bring it up. It's the worst thing. The game length is ridiculous. There is no reason. I mean, it's the same problem I have with baseball, too. I don't want to sit down and strap into something for four hours. I just, I don't get two, two and a half. I'm good. Yeah. A soccer match where you sit down, and you know, it's going to be 90 minutes and over. A hockey game where you're going to sit down no, and you know it's no, two and a half for a game, no. 245 if it's going into overtime. And then what happens in the playoffs, Andy? Well, yeah, it, it gets wild in the playoffs, but the games matter enough in the playoffs that we can have a six and a half hour Blue Jackets Lightning game. There was one game, yeah, I don't remember. There was a game, uh, a game I remember. I think it was a Wings Penguins game in the playoffs, and it was like, when the fuck is this game gonna end? Like, good lord. Yeah, right. But they're, I mean, they're not drawing it out for four hours during the regular season. Uh, fair enough. Fair enough. Yes, I do. I absolutely hate there. It, oh, the clock rules are so much better in the NFL. There is just no re- And if I see a game on Fox, like the, the big noon Saturday game, it's like this game is going to start at noon and it's going to end at like fucking 415. <laughs> oh, yeah, you're not wrong. Like, I don't mind the Fox production otherwise, you know, that dude just losing his mind over everything. But oh, the time is yes, that is the number one thing that gets in the way of me watching more college football and then every Sunday when I sit down and watch the NFL I'm like this is so much better clockwise uh, you're not wrong from a clock perspective but this year like I've talked about over the course of the show that like some years it's an NFL year and some years it's college football year and this year has 100% been a college football year for me especially with some of the crazy upsets that have happened uh, I've been watching a lot of college football this year and NFL has really just been fantasy and gambling and and the here and there. It's 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 always on and on Sundays in the background, but it's been less of an active watching experience this year. Yeah, I mean, I I've been watching a decent balance of both. I think at the beginning of the season, I said it wouldn't surprise me if I watched hardly any college football, and that hasn't been the case so far. So I guess that's been a positive. But I mean, it's it's been a, it's been a good NFL season so far too. So. 
no complaints about football in general at all. Yeah, exactly. Just give me more, basically. Yep. Okay, so I think I've largely wrapped up at least the like the football, the career type stuff uh, of this book. Is there anything you want to say more on that topic before we transition more into the the fatherhood element of the book? No, I th- I think we're good to go. Game day is great. Like that's that is the moral of the story. You're like, you know, it is it's it's that show and it's inside the NBA with Charles Barkley and Shaq and, and Kenny and Judd Smith and Ernie Johnson. Like it's it, the only two shows I'm going to think about watching sports related that aren't actual games are those two. And then I've had stretches where fantasy football now I've I've tuned in some, uh, but not at all lately. It's it's game day and inside the NBA are on a tier unto themselves and everybody else is playing for third. Yeah. I mean, game day is the actual sports sports show that I would watch. So, I'm yeah. so let's transition into the, the fatherhood aspect of this. So we've touched a little bit on Herbie's relationship with his own dad and, and how kind of a, a huge element it played in his life. Not often for the best. Uh, his father was really in and out of his life quite a bit. Uh, and then eventually his father developed and succumbed to Alzheimer's uh, towards the end of his life. Uh, and of course, your own relationship with your father shapes the relationships that you have with your own children if you eventually become a father. Uh, and Kirk talks about that a lot in this book, particularly about how he always wanted to be there, be present, be available uh, for his kids. Uh, and, and that seems to be a central kind of tenet of, of what he thinks is important for fatherhood. Yeah, absolutely. Um I think you hit on a lot of the themes that I would have wanted to to touch on there that right I I don't Herbie was asking his dad to be perfect he was just asking him to be there and for a lot of a lot of the time his dad wasn't there and I think that and, and I think the, you know one of the lessons I kind of took out of it was you don't have to be perfect to be a perfect parent you kind of just have to show up and and I mean it's it's a little more complicated than that but only a little I think I mean really if if you show up and and try your 90% of the way there. Yeah. And I mean, it's definitely something that like, it sounds so basic and it can still be like, and it is basic in a sense, but it can still be really hard to nail that, you know, like you and I have discussed often, you know, work-life balance and, and, you know, needing to provide for your family and have this great life. But at what point, you know, would your kids trade that for just like, Oh, Hey, if my dad was around a little bit more, that would have been better than, you know, the extra Christmas gifts that we got that year because he worked more hours. Um, You know, it's something that I've struggled with, you know, just with my own kids as far as both of the working part of it. And then just like disconnecting and being fully present and available, right? Like we all have smartphones. We're all connected with millions of other people across the world we got the internet at our fingertips we're the most advanced uh that civilization has ever been and everything in the world is at your fingertips uh but you also just need to like say like okay like that's all gonna wait and just doing what i did earlier tonight and just (laughs) playing basketball on the mini hoop and letting my two-year-old you know tell him that he was great when he was scoring some baskets and chasing the kids around and tickling them and just being there, you know, that's, 
uh, you know, it sounds super easy and it can be super easy. Just, just do it. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that's the stuff the kids are going to remember. I think they're probably not going to remember the great Christmas gift. They're going to remember you putting it together with them or, you know, playing with it or like you said, the, the mini hoop bag. Uh, a mini hoop for his birthday and he got one so we we do have a basketball hoop in the house now yeah that's right that's how we do it <laughs> i thought about that as i was putting it together a couple of days ago i said i'm gonna tell josh about this on the show because it's basketball in my house and i figured you'd be surprised and proud for us so <laughs> we were actually hooping it up a little bit ourselves but a hundred percent it's it is tough I mean, and, and we are pulling a thousand different directions. And I think it is hard sometimes to just take that time to, like you said, be fully present and just enjoy those little moments. Cause I mean, you know, they're there for a minute and then the kids grow up and, and they're gone. So you, you got to take advantage of every one of those little moments that you have to connect and show some interest in what your kids are doing and, and build those memories. And again, like, I don't want this to be this whole, like, sappy love fest where you and I are both, like, perfect parents or whatever. Like, sometimes it's fucking boring, right? Like, I read Goodnight Moon to you four times in a row. <laughs> what are you getting out of the fifth time of me reading this book to you? Yes, from a science perspective, I know, actually, that your synapses are growing and connecting and that you're, you've heard these words over and over and that you're forming connections between the sound my voice is making and what's on the page. But the fifth, five times in a row, how many times am I going to have to do brown bear, brown bear? Like we know the order of the animals. It's, yeah, the, brown it's deer. Bear. the deer is coming next. We know it's the red bird. It's the yellow duck. It's the blue horse. We, we get it. We know the order. But so again, like I so saw, I'm not going to say that like, oh yeah, it's just so easy to be a wonderful, available father because sometimes, you know, it's, you're stressing out about work and you've got 8 million errands run and you got to pay the bills and you got to, you know, you're, you, you got to plan when you're going to next record with your podcast co-host, like lots of shit's going on, but sometimes it's just like, okay, like in this moment, what is the most important thing for me to be doing right now? And a lot of times the answer to that question is just be present and available in the small moment because you just don't know which of those small moments are going to stick in your kid's head, you know, for whatever reason, good or bad. Yeah. Don't you love those? The and, and I mean, I don't know if you have any examples, but you know, those little things, good and bad that your kids will remember and bring up like two years later. Oh yeah. Like, Oh I can't, I can't, I'm having a hard time. There was, I think I like stuck the or something and for like a solid six months straight. And then occasionally like, you know, once every other month, it's like, Hey, can you give me a juice box and don't stick the straw through it? Like you did that one time. <laughs> like, bro, it was once, it was one time I nailed the juice box 300 other times. But you remember that one? But I mean, you know, that, that's a funny moment, but there's also those little positives too, where it's, Hey, remember that one time we went to, you know, the park and you held my hand and we walked on this path and it's like, yeah, maybe like, I don't even know, but <laughs> right. Like, yeah, we go to the park a lot, but like, clearly that stuck to you. And so this book has a lot of wonderful moments about fatherhood. You know, it's, it's positives and it's, and it's stresses. Um, I'm not going to say negatives because again, I think you and I, 
love being a father as much as we love anything in this world. Um, but you, you posed a nice, simple question, and that's how this is how we're going to close up the show. What is your favorite part, Andy, about being a dad? Oh man, that yeah, yeah I, I did pose the question. I guess <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if I have one simple answer. There, I think it's the little things. I think it's how doing it's how the little things add up. So you know, I think it's probably easy to do big dad things right occasionally. Mm-hmm. And I don't know. I mean, I don't know if that came out the way I meant it to, but like the big things are easier than the little things. I think it's the the fact that you just have to be so damn consistent. That is one of the most frustrating parts of being a dad, but it's also one of the best parts about being a dad of that those little things stick and that those little routines that you build that are kind of those secret things that, you know, maybe only the two of you do like my kid, when we take a bath, it'll be, you know, we, we do things in a certain way. We usually hair first and then we wash our bodies and it's kind of funny when somebody else gives them a bath and they'll be like hold on that's not how dad does it <laughs> yes because you know bath is usually my thing so it's, it's one of those things where it's like i, I don't know if this is right because this is how me and dad do it right but, yeah, you no. know that those little things clearly are just sticking so much of like you know building yeah no i 100 feel you on that one right like it's so easy to be like okay my kid's birthday is coming up and we're gonna have all the family and we're gonna we know the best gifts that he really wants and we're gonna have you know his favorite flavor of cake or whatever and it's it's that singular event and you plan it and it goes great and you're like nailed it crushed it you know but it's the fact that again you know it's reading that book for the fifth time over and over it's that thing where it's like okay like we're gonna practice tying your shoes over and over and over again i you know i'm not going to reach down and do it for you we're going to build some independence uh and and just just doing that is is tough but again that consistency is key uh and i really think you know it's it's going the extra mile and and our kids really appreciate that uh the answer for me is it's simple for me uh my kids all three of them knock on wood uh we'll still be in this phase for a, a little bit longer but it's the like it's the falling asleep thing it's the fact that you know they're still young enough that it's cool and it's okay to snuggle up against dad snuggle up against mom uh and just kind of fall asleep be completely comfortable have the security to know that you know they can you know be completely vulnerable they feel safe they they want to be up against us. They want to have that physical touch uh, that's comforting to them, that they love me and I love them. And even if they're starting to get so heavy and carrying them up the stairs is now really like bordering in the workout territory. Uh, uh, but it's still the best, uh, you know, getting those hugs. It's still just the most wonderful thing in the world. So. I am with you on bedtime. Man, bedtime, I think sometimes is the only like slow moment I have in mind. But you have to commit yourself, I feel like. Like you can't you can't be on your phone and trying to do bedtime, you know. Like you can't be on trying to do something on a computer and also snuggling the kids to sleep. Like that takes a hundred percent of your dad focus, I feel like. Like you really have to 
you have to be in that. And I do think that that is just such a special time. Well, it's the last hurrah for the day, right? Like, I mean, mm-hmm. depending on what your body clock is, you might have one to several hours after they go to bed where it's like, okay, it's my time. It's my time with my wife. It's my time to myself. I can do whatever the hell I want, but I need to stick the landing first. And right. <laughs> I'm going to, in this exact precise order, fluff the pillow, put the pillow down, let him crawl in the bed, put the weighted blanket on first, put the middle blanket on second, put the comforter on third, give him a kiss, turn the light off, shut the door. And now it is done. And now I have the evening to myself in whatever capacity there is left. Uh, but got to stick the landing at the very end. 100%. Well, and like you said, I mean, there's a very short list of people that can do that exact routine right. I mean, I know how to put a kid to bed, but I couldn't come over and put your kid to bed. Right, and I couldn't like put your kid to bed. That's you, you know, that, that that's you and, you know, maybe your wife and, you know, maybe your mom. But, I mean, it's it's a small group of people right. that have that special connection they can get somebody comfortable, you know, a little person comfortable enough to be ready to go to bed. Right. Because they're going to wake up that next day. And again, it's just like, Oh man, I miss that when it's just like they, you wake up and there's the day is full of possibility and wonder and you get another day on God's green earth. And then sometimes I roll over and I'm like, Oh, do I have to, but no, your kids are, it's, this is wonderful new adventure. And you get to be with them throughout the day, but you get to be there right at the beginning and you get to be there right at the end and uh, and shepherd them into another day. And it's uh, really just a wonderful time. So kids look at the day the way Gus Johnson looks at football <laughs> brand new. It's the most exciting thing they've ever done. And you're going to be there for the next four hours doing whatever it is you started doing. Oh, you're so good at bringing it full circle. That was wonderful. Walk off, babe. That that was my best one, though. <laughs> there we go. That was great. All right, Andy. This episode has been really fun. Uh, and uh, I think uh, more book reviews are in the future. We find a mutual uh, topic that we both like, uh, whether it's a memoir or a subject. You know, I don't read a lot of nonfiction at all. Um, and I was like, okay, is this going to be like interesting enough to hold my attention? And, and it really was. So, yeah, I, I very much enjoyed it. I think just the whole experience of, you know, reading a book together took it, took me very back to like, uh, you know, where a friendship began in high school. So that was fun. I'd be down to do this again. Hopefully well, people enjoyed this as much as we did. Well, for some of us, right. Some of us read Lords of Discipline and some of us watched the movie <laughs> and, uh, and which it was wasn't pre- like it was the pretty book obvious who did that. <laughs> <laughs> all right, everyone. This has been another episode of Buckeye Dads Discuss, and we'll talk to you later. Stay safe, Ohio. Buckeye Dads Discuss is a podcast hosted by Andy and Josh. It's edited by April. You can find us on social media at Buckeye Dads on Twitter, and you can email the show at Buckeye Dads Discuss at gmail.com.